0: The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app. Use promo code RTRS when you sign up. Hey, it's Spike. This is not a full pod. We'll have a full pod for you on Tuesday, but we wanted to release something as the Sixers at 4.59 p.m. End of the day, uh, fire coach Brett Brown. Um, we had a great relationship with Brett. Brett came on the podcast two separate times, inclu- including an amazing live show appearance. And what we wanted to do tonight was to release our two interviews with Brett Brown, one from April of 2015 when he did a jigsaw, and then one at uh, the Live Ricky with Mike Scott, which happened in September or October, I forget, of 2019. Seems like a 100 years ago. Um, We'll have a lot more to say uh, about Brett's statement that didn't mention uh, Brian Colangelo or uh, Alex Rucker or Scott O'Neill about his tenure here, uh, about what is next, about the statement from Woj, about, uh, you know, them making changes in the uh, front office structure. But uh, Elton Brand will make those changes. We'll have all of that for you on Tuesday. But we wanted, as a tribute to Brett, who who went through everything with us. Remember, everything we went through through over the last seven years, uh, there's one other person who has been through all of that too, and that's Brett Brown. And he's a good coach and uh, an even better guy, and um, we'll have a lot to say about him tomorrow night. But um, but now, please enjoy, please, please, please enjoy these two interviews with Brett. Again, the first one is April of 2015, and then the next one is fall of 2019, all timers. Brett, we love you, man. Um, good luck. At least you don't have to watch the Sixers anymore. Amos and the chef.
2: No,
0: here I am. Oh, there we go. So Brett's there, Mike's there,
3: Spike's here. We're all here. Hey, Brett.
2: Hey, Mike, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad.
3: Really appreci- thanks for Thanks for doing this, man.
2: Yeah. No, it's all, all good, fellas. I'm good to go.
3: Um,
0: so it's crazy that this, the season of 100 different storylines feels like it's, it's almost over. There's like 10 days of it. When you get to that home stretch like this, Do you feel relief or that you didn't get enough done? Or how does the the last couple of weeks of the season feel like to you?
2: I mean, you sort of have different emotions on one level, you know, because I, I enjoy so much coaching this group. You're going to be sad to, you know, sort of see the group broken up, which inevitably there will be some casualties. Uh, on another level, you get so excited for the draft to begin and start assessing future draft picks. Uh, there's a obviously a really big part of, of our new, since I've been here, our new program's future in the next few months, you know, who you draft, what luck we get with ping pong balls, et cetera. So you go into it with a bunch of emotions. You want to live a little bit longer with this group because I have a lot of respect on how hard they play. And you get fired up for the future given the exciting times we have coming up with, uh, with the uncertainty of draft picks and how we're going to use our draft picks.
3: What is your, uh, your role in the draft? We know Sam uh, values the interview process a lot. And, like, what ways do you contribute? So, like, what do you look for in a prospect, that kind of thing?
2: I mean, Sam and I do so much behind closed doors. And, you know, we, 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 we talk – almost daily throughout the year, most definitely throughout the draft period and the assessment period. And we'll we'll go and you know, conduct the personal interviews. For me, because I this is now what my fifteenth draft. I, I, I like to I like to sort of run silent for a while and just you know, do a lot of listening. We have so many opinions with different scouts and, you know, my own staff and the marketplace In general, for for me, I like to just sort of run silent for a while and digest it and take it all in. Um, I like to do that for a few reasons. First, because I'm not at this particular moment informed enough to to have concrete opinions, right? And, And secondly, I think that you know when a head coach speaks, sometimes it influences the room in a way that might not be that good. I want our guys to speak freely. Uh, my relationship and involvement with Sam is very much connected at the hip. And uh, we share, you know, as many uh, sources of information and opinions as we can. And uh, they, it's one of the more exciting nights of the year, I think, draft, you know, when you ultimately have to make decisions on draft night.
0: You made an interesting comment about you and Sam being connected at the hip and how much you talk about things publicly. There is sort of this, at least with uh, some, for, some portion of the fan base, some portion of the press, there is this sort of uh, image of this good cop, bad cop thing with Sam Hinkey being the evil guy with his door closed um, <laughs> typing away on his computer and there is poor Brett Brown left to deal with the wreckage that Sam has created I guess is... A, it's a three-part question. A, are you aware of that image? B, how do you feel about it? Like, do you, do you enjoy that you get the, the, you know, the positive reinforcement of that while he gets the negative or, or is it, does it bother you that people don't think that you're part of that process?
2: Um, so let me just start. Am I aware of it? Uh, no, not really. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> no, no, not really. I, okay. I live in a I live in a cave throughout the year. years ago when I first was with Pop. You know, Pop with his military background and, you know, at the Air Force Academy. I remember my first few months with him where we started, I think, like three and eight. And uh, I'm on a treadmill next to him, and, and they're calling for his job. You know, he had just fired Bob Hill. He, he, he appointed himself as coach. And, you know, there was scrutiny in the marketplace on his position. And I remember, like it was yesterday, being on a treadmill with him where you have the, the interstate rivalry with Dallas and Houston. And we hadn't started well. And Pop turned to me and said, you know, there's a chance that, that they may not want me as their coach after these next few games. And we started talking. And I really ran silent my first few months with him and just sort of, Wanted to fit in more than anything, and he reminded me so quickly. He said, "Listen, you know, you you have to really sort of just do your job and go home. You can't get tricked with the marketplace, the media, whatever. We're all human. Everybody wants to be respected and liked, and that's just not possible in, in the coaching profession." And he said, "I know you know that. You're the son of a coach, and you've been a head coach for a long time yourself. But that's how I'm handling it." And the story continued, but in essence, that's what he said. And so when you asked me the question about you know the marketplace and poor Brett and Sam's the evil <laughs> you know guy behind the curtain, no to that answer. Second, it's not true. It's uh, and probably that's what you want to hear more than anything. He, he he and I do this together. You know I have a role to coach the team and do what I think is best on the court. He has a role to construct this team and draft and trade the way he thinks. He should, you know, the Michael Carter Williams trade was, was yep. a hard thing, you know, and what I say more than anything is we have to let him do his job. You know, you're going to have to let Sam Hinky do his job and trust the judgment and decision and the, the background research that he is so meticulous with. And, and, you know, we'll get it right or we won't only time will tell, but I, I do this with Sam. He's got his role. I got mine and we do it together. You know, when we argue stuff out, and it's healthy. It's a, it's a real relationship.
3: Yeah, I know you won't uh, get into specifics about it, but if you, in terms of bigger picture, uh, are there sorts of specific areas that you guys generally agree or disagree in, where you sort of butt heads, um, not in a mean spirited sense, just in a like, hey, I value this more than he values this kind of thing. I,
2: I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, he, he came from a background that was different than where I came from. And, right. you, you know, they, they, were so, they were so into the three-point shot. They were so into, you know, playing with a fierce pace. You know, they had their, their Viper program, that NBDL program that used to mm-hmm. spray up, you know, thousands of threes, you know, and treated it as a real, I think, interesting case study. Um, they were very interested in acquiring assets and the history that Sam personally had with how, you know, James Harden came and then, you know, Dwight Howard, and they saw how do you get true cornerstone-type pieces, building block pieces. They, he experienced that world differently than, you know, the solid foundation, the defensive foundation, the, the character foundation that I had in San Antonio. And I feel like we complement each other where, we, where I can say, hey, I think this, and this is why I think it. And he can talk about, you know, well, this is what analytics is showing. This is what it takes to actually build a program. Look at how we ended up with the two cornerstone pieces in Houston that we ended up with. You know, his path was, was entirely different than mine. And I, and I think it's healthy. I, I remember clearly sitting down with him and just being very interested that I felt like Sam could help me be a better coach. I, I wanted to know what he knew. And I'm, I'm curious by nature. Uh, I don't feel extraordinarily set in my ways where I'm too rigid. I feel like there's a flexibility that interests me tremendously on how I can be a better coach, how we can, you know, get with the times. At the end of the day, there are some things that I'm not negotiable on, but you know, the coexistence of Sam Hinkey and Brett Brown and how we figure things out under the umbrella of just incredible owners, really. When you think how bold our owners are and gutsy our owners are to let us do this, to be a part of this very, you know, dramatic type of rebuild and plan is quite extraordinary. And so, you know, Sam and I move along in our own worlds, but they most definitely overlap and they're most definitely done with a very honest line of communication,
3: and has has it gone uh, how you thought it would go? Is is this what you kind of anticipated when you signed signed up over here? Uh,
2: in some ways, yes, and in other ways, not at all. You know, I think that I think that if you had told me when I first accepted the position that you know draft picks wouldn't play. Um, like this year, to have Dario and Joel M B that, that was never in the plan. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 you knew the deal with New Orleans. Um, I think those type of dramatic-type situations, no. You know, the rebuild-type thing, the, the boldness that we've made with, you know, or like a Michael trade, those, those types of things weren't the things that you envisaged. You know when you accepted the the, the, the position, the volatility I, I, I was aware of, aware of. I, I knew the the challenges of holding a locker room together when clearly you would be losing. Um, I I feel like I feel like the 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 way that our guys have handled losing our young guys, and to a point, the media. You know, like navigating a tough marketplace like Philadelphia you know, can scare the hell out of you if you're not pretty direct and very transparent back. And on many different levels, you know, it has gone to plan on other levels like the Dario and Joel, it hasn't. But when I sort of take a deep breath and think we're, what, six games away from ending our second year, I'm just thrilled with the stuff that isn't shown in in win-loss record with You know, all the development work that I think people do see but don't really know what goes on behind the scenes or our sports science program or just the excitement I have with our new practice facility around the corner or building my own staff, those types of things I think help me sleep at night, you know, where you really feel like you're creating a culture and a foundation that can move forward.
0: You've talked about the the good culture here ish smith and thomas robinson two guys who are two of the newer guys have both talked about how everything here is basically the opposite of what they expected how positive it feels are you i know you were probably confident that you could create that but with all the losing are you surprised that it has been so positive and how exactly do you do that what is the recipe for creating such a it feels like it, even from the outside, such a positive environment.
2: Well, you bring up a a few things that, that have interest me lately because we have such a, you know, revolving door of players, especially lately. And it happened last year too, after the all-star break, you know, I think we're on 32 players. I think I've gone through eight point guards, you know, we've gone through a lot. And so with that, with that revolving type door, you get so many opinions and new voices and new perspectives that come in and either reference our program to where they came from or whatever. And I, I I keep very close to the people, even that we've cut, you know, to go see Elliot Williams or Evan Turner or Spencer or Michael, you know, you, you develop a connection, you develop a, a bond with those guys and for them to, you know, make their way over and, and, and greet us and say hello and, you know, go out of their way to make sure that, they, that we connect when their when new team comes into town or to listen to people like you say with Glenn or Thomas share stories. It, it makes me even more confident and more proud of the fact that we're building something that is real. I, I think the main thing that stands out when you ask the question of, you know, how are we doing this? I think it it, it always gets back to relationships. It gets back Mm -hmm. to somebody looking across at a coaching staff and us looking back at them, and they genuinely feel like we're there to help them get better, that maybe we play them, maybe we don't. But I tell you what, we'll come in and we're going to knock out real days. We're going to study a game through just general coaching, uh, gut feel things or analytics. We're going to design a development path and plan it for you that can move you into the future, move you forward, whether you're a 76er or not. And I feel like by, by doing that, then we're able to have incredibly spirited practices. With You know, it's real. We, we had one of the best practices we've had all year. Yesterday, on April whatever it is, with six games left, before back-to-back, where these guys just bust their tail. And the effort that they show and how hard they play is, is what we've hung our hat on. It's what we've sold. You know, we have an effort chart that measures their degree of hustle, their degree of effort. And so all those things, you know, add up into a very sort of complicated answer on how we're trying to navigate through this at
0: this stage. You know, you said you've had eight point guards this year. Nerland said that you guys have only had one, <laughs> and that's Ish Smith. So <laughs> I, I don't know what you've been seeing, but Nerland said just one.
2: And you know, I I think sometimes people make more out of it than they should. You, the general <laughs> reaction was that it was a you know a direct blow to Michael, and th- that that's not true. I think that when you press a little bit deeper, and maybe Nerlens didn't clarify it as much as he wished. In hindsight, he he would have. You know, I I get it too. It's it's when you think point guard, you're thinking. You know, pass-first type player. Michael's not that. Tony Park is not that. You know, Steve, Steve Kerr or Jock Vaughn. Jock Vaughn was more of a, you know, traditional point guard. I mean, back in a thousand years ago when I played, I was more of a traditional point guard. And so I hope people don't look too deeply into that. I, I get it. You know, I understand it. But uh, Ish has, how about Ish? Ish? Ish has been a hell of a good find
0: for us. It's been unbelievable. Yeah. I, I tell you, us, you know, we live... I don't know if there is. I don't know if you're aware of, but there is a cultish group of Sixers fans that have enjoyed this season. Us two being among them more than anything, and we watch with uh, great verve. And after Ish Ish's first game, I think we were all like, "Oh my God, what is the deal with this guy?" And then two weeks later, it's it's unbelievable. I I have no idea where it came from. Are you surprised with how good he's played, how well he's played?
2: I, I am, I am spike. And, and you know when I look at it, what I get most excited about is I see daylight on how we can improve him because what I see is I see this gypsy point guard that's been here, there, everywhere, never really had a had a role, never really had any longevity. you know he's at a stage that I, I think it's the best stage of players at 26 years old up to about 29. When you study Olympic Games and you study NBA finalists, you know, you're looking at an age group that people start to blossom and shine. And I think that his age, coupled with the fact he really doesn't have mileage on his body, that suggests that he can play with that bounce because he, he he is so gifted an athlete for his size. And I especially think that when you look at the form of his shot, he's a set shooter. And I think that you can improve set shooters easier than jump shooters. And so I immediately go to, I think that we can improve him as a three-point shooter. And I most definitely think we can improve him, you know, higher than his 50, whatever it is, 5% free throw percentage career. He's better than that. And so all over the place, charisma, personality, toughness, athleticism, future growth, I, I just like him. You know, he's been a real breath of fresh air to us.
3: Yeah, in uh, in San Antonio we saw it, and, and now here's with guys like Jeremy and Jakar and Ish. Uh, how much do you think you can really improve somebody's shot? And and was that a consideration uh, when when MCW got moved?
2: Um, probably it was a part of it. You know, in, in Sam studies and guessing what the Lake of pick could be, and, and all those things. You know, it's a very complicated thing. I, I tell. I get a chance to speak to our season ticket holders before every game. You know, you can go speak to 25 or 30 before every game. I've done it for two years since I've been the coach. You go and you listen and, and, and I like it because it's the true sort of beat on the street. It's a real like compass to the marketplace. And that comes up often. And Sam, you know, to make the decision that he made, I I go into a room and I'm seeing crumpled up Starbucks cups and, you know, Jimmy John's rappers and, they immersed in this room with, you know, hieroglyphics all over the wall and grass here and, you know, ultimately to, 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 to come and then knock on my door and say, hey, hey, Coach Brown, you know, I feel like we have a trade available to us that's going to move the program forward, and it involves Michael, and then you learn why and how, and that's, you know, him and his, his, his front office doing all this work. I'm sure the three-point shot had something to do with it. And so your question was, well, can you improve a three-point shooter? I think that you can. I think it's harder to improve jump shooters. But I look at the improvement that like Jeremy has made where he took, I think, like 20 three-point shots at Syracuse in two years. And now he's a 34% NBA three-point shooter. Luke has made more threes this year than he even attempted in six seasons. When we first judged, do we or don't we judge Kawhi Leonard back in my Spur life, so much of it was, you know, do we think he has the ability to, to progress to a perimeter player? Several years ago, we gave Tony Parker like $66 million, and he really couldn't shoot. And we went out and hired one of the league's first shooting coaches in Chip England. And mm-hmm. I think that it's one of these positions... That when we all blink in two, three, four years, I think every team's going to have one, maybe two. They're like hitting coaches. I'm, I'm blown away that in today's day and age, every team doesn't have one. We've gone out and hired one, and he's he's doing a hell of a job. You know, he's a former college player, former college coach, not a traditional shooting coach, but we're growing him into that. And so with the, the, the emergence of the importance, obviously, of the three-point line in our own analytics, we're going overboard in developing and finding and growing three-point shooters. We have to, when, when Joel comes into the mix, even more so, as I learned in my, my Duncan Robinson days.
3: Yeah, uh, this isn't even really a question. I'm using it as a loose segue. But just, like, just talk about Joel Embiid. Just say whatever you want about him. And we'll listen to it
2: <laughs> Just in, incredibly gifted and going to be a two-way player. When, when I, I, I remember when the ping pong ball dropped and we got the third slot. I, I was mm-hmm. actually sitting. I was sitting on a plane getting ready to take off uh, from Philadelphia to Los Angeles to go look at some workouts, and my son was 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 watching the, the draft on ESPN and so, you know, you get up to nine, eight, seven, six and, you know, all of a sudden there's a commercial break and you've slid into the three and we're about to take off and it's hard to explain to the stewardess, you know, why you have a phone pressed to your ear. But I heard it <laughs> I heard it, it, it and I mean this. I heard it right at the end, you know, where it was clear that I had pushed it too far. I had to put my, take my phone and turn it off and <laughs> My son told me three and I, I hung up and I thought, well, we're, we're, we're going to get Wiggins. We're going to end up with Andrew Wiggins. I think the beat on the street was that that Joel would go one and Jabari would go to Milwaukee and Andrew Wiggins would be three. And, you know, at that point, it's kind of like steak a lobster. They're all really good players. Yeah. And down deep, because I had paid attention so much in the event that we had got the first pick, I just was just. Had this, 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 this awe strike uh, potential hat on when I watched Joel. I, I saw hints of like Duncan at Wake Forest. You wondered, you know, does he have a little bit of the dream shake and Elijah And, you know, I'm nervous because he really hasn't played much basketball, really. Like he's, he, he, you feel a little bit reckless to mention those two players and Duncan and Elijah Wan, but at times when he's making some moves, you're you just, wow. And then you see, I remember watching one of the Oklahoma State-Kansas games where Marcus Smart, you know, has a little bit of a shot at Joel in traffic, and, and he hurts Joel. And, and I think Marcus Smart went out of his way to, you know, go at him. And then you watch two, three plays go by, and I see Joel seek him out and just, you know, go hard after him, level him on a layup and purposefully you know, let him know that that's just not acceptable. And so for me, for the first time, I saw like this competitive toughness that, that, that made me like him even more. And so now that I have him and I'm with him in just a one-on-one situation, and I'm just with him where you're not playing, you, you know, he you can only do so much right now, I see all those things, like just a, an incredibly gifted two-way player. I see a competitive toughness that I just fall in love with. And I think that it's going to be like we all know. It's going to be about his health. And we go overboard, as I assume you know, with the sports science side of the sport. And so I feel like he's moving in the direction. I just am so excited to ultimately see him play basketball again. And step by step, he's moving in the direction that we want.
0: You've talked recently about something that I think we've all thought about is the the prospect of he and nerland's playing at the same time was there a moment the nerland's thing just seems to have all of a sudden just clicked like all of a sudden he's a monster was was there a moment where it looked like the light just sort of turned on for him and he changed or is it just that we notice it that way and it's been far more i guess gradual than it appears to have been
2: Yes, uh, it's a good question. Uh, If you made me give you an answer, I would say after the All-Star break and after the trade, I think that he felt a greater responsibility. And I I, I don't believe that it's because of point guard changes at at all. I think that he felt a greater responsibility. I think that the trade of Michael was an eye-opener to a lot of people. And, you know, he, there he was, he remained. And I think that he took that, that situation and parlayed it into a more focused defender. I think a more free offensive player because he wasn't as, as paralyzed perhaps with overthinking that I attribute a lot to just playing not so much the trade. I think the general umbrella of, feeling more responsibility, kick-started a lot of things. Um, I think that when I first had him on a court playing this year and the experience that I had with him personally where, you know, he was like a redshirt or on a sabbatical the first year where we could educate him on the league and break down his shot and rebuild his free throw, which we're also proud of. I mean, if anybody saw him shoot a free throw at Kentucky, And now fast-forward that and see what he's doing now. I mean, to think he's a 61% NBA free-throw shooter his first year is mind-boggling, given where he was at and what his form looked like. But I think that the freedom of playing and doing less thinking and just playing basketball again, along with that added less, you know, more responsibility, I think it just kick-started him into having a hell of a—I mean, look at what he's doing. I mean, on a historical perspective— some of his numbers are jaw-dropping what he's been doing post all-star break.
3: If, uh, again, not getting into specifics here because I know you can't talk about it, but uh, say you're the top player of, at your board in the draft is a big man, and we're, we're two years into the rebuild, and you have Nerlens and Joel here, uh, and if the big man's at the top of your board, do you take that guy even if you're looking at two big man prospects already on the team and one of them at least thriving, and the other one looking to.
2: I mean, I've been asked this question, and this is just Brett Brown. This isn't this isn't a right. club philosophy. This is just me. I think m- my opinion is, is: you take the best player, um, whatever that means, you know. And, and 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 if you look at draft boards, and we've all looked at them, sometimes it changes. It it everybody mm-hmm. isn't sort of stuck on the, the guy, and you know, we 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 may deem the best player to be different than, than somebody else. Maybe that best player as we deem it is maybe more of a natural fit with the current group of players we have. I say, I don't really know, you know, which way we're going to end up going, but I, I would be amazed if you didn't go into 30 NBA general managers in a, and ask them that question. If every one of them didn't say we're going to take all day, every day, the best player, if it's clear that there is most definitely a best player.
0: Right. All right. We sincerely appreciate your time. Before we go, we have to ask you two quick questions, the second of which is a bit of a tradition with the podcast. The first one, though it is a quick question, is very, very, very important to most of the Internet. And topical. And topical. So I have to ask you, Brett Brown, in the deepest bowels of your soul, Do you believe that a hot dog is or is not a sandwich? (laughs) I love it.
2: I, I do not believe it is a sandwich.
0: Oh! And is there any reason, or is it just a feel?
2: It's no. I have a reason because I, I pride pride myself on being a sandwich connoisseur. It's one of my more pleasurable moments when I can go and get a sports page a, 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 you know, good sandwich and just sit down and relax and probably some, some chips of some sort and just, you know, spend time by myself and, (laughs) and just, you know, relax. And so I feel like I know sandwiches. I do not for that reason. Consider when I go seeking a sandwich that, that, that a hot dog falls into that category.
0: Fair, fair. Now I think s- that's
3: the final. That's the final that's word on the it. final that's
0: word actually. on it. Hot dog, not a sandwich. I disagree, but I'm I'm swan- <laughs> uh, you you swayed me. So the final thing that. is a thing that I do to Mike every week, and it's called the jigsaw. And what it is, it's basically would you rather. Now it can get a little gross. I've toned it back for you a little bit, but it is a a you have to choose between two bad scenarios. I give you two scenarios and you will both have to choose between which one you, you would take. Make sense?
2: No. Okay, so am I, am I choosing the one that, that I think is the worst
0: no. You, no, you're choosing the, the lesser of two evils, the one that you okay, would choose so in your both life.
2: Okay, so they bad. i got to choose the best of the worst.
0: Yes, and be yeah. prepared. I apologize. I can't believe to a person of your stature <laughs> that I'm asking this question, but here we go. It's all good. So go for it. My wife was horrified by this one. All right, here are your two choices. For the rest of your life, you have to either A, before every meal you eat, you have to pick your nose and eat it, or— <laughs> The second selection is in one of, of one of your meals during the day, someone else will have picked their nose and put it in your food. You may see wow. it, you may not see it, but it comes from someone else, and it's just one meal. So those are your two choices.
3: So one meal, one meal of someone else's nose picking versus every meal of your own nose picking. Correct okay, I,
2: i'm I, I'm gonna have you, you you know how much I hate answering this. You realize this right? <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> because, because I'm trying to be good spirit <laughs> and, and, and just be with you guys. I will play this game.
3: Yes.
2: Okay. I will reluctantly play this game.
0: Know how much we appreciate it. How about that? Okay, that's okay. all
2: good. I'm, I'm okay. game. Okay. Uh, I, 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 will, I will have to go with somebody else's under the assumption that I just didn't know it. That's that's my point.
3: Yes. Wow. Okay. And Mike? I, what do you, I g- you know? I got to go with my own nose. I know what's in there. Yeah. And you, I trust myself. You got some other person's <laughs> nose. You just, that's mystery nose. And I'm not, I'm not about that.
0: Brett, um, you are our favorite. We think you're the coach of the year every year, but certainly this year. And the job you've done is absolutely unbelievable. You've made, you and the team have made this season, believe it or not, for an 18 win season, we've had more fun watching the team this year and felt more proud of the organization than you could imagine. uh, And you're a big part of that. So thank you for taking the time and
3: thank you for Uh, this season.
2: We appreciate your interest. Thanks very much.
3: Thanks, man. Thanks, Brett.
2: Thanks, fellas. Thanks.
0: Uh, another person that didn't get in, that got a lot of votes, is the coach of the Sixers for the last six-plus years, one Brett Brown. This is one of my favorite images that Zaynab did when I mentioned <laughs> that Brett looked like he aged
3: like a president. In- That's very true. Deeply true. It's... I'm... I'm sad that Brett didn't get in this year because I I do think that there's a chance that with so much, so many expectations that it could be maybe the last year and you could say that he's even like on the hot seat in some way. He's on the hot seat? I think you could say that it is.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, Brett Brown. Wow. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Ladies and gentlemen, the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, Brett Brown!
3: Now, now you can see why TJ was the way he was.
0: Yeah. Four
3: more, more years! Four more, more years! Four more, more years! Four more, more years! See that? Four more,
1: more years! Looking good. I can tell it's always good to come in. Yeah at about eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock into a bar and, like, get this type of response. That's I've, right. I've come, a,
0: I've come in at a good time. So, Brett, admit it, you'd much rather be here than at lunch with a bunch of beat writers and my dad.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is, this is true. And, uh, you have heard the exchanges that we have had in mm-hmm. good fun and playful fun, but, uh, to come into this environment, I mean, even out back, I'm hiding out back and I'm just feeling sort of the vibe and I'm seeing the the, the stuff here. <laughs> and you, you know, and you come in and you know it's Philly when you can just come in and talk about a 17 and a 12-year-old and there's not police, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, you know? <laughs> so, this, is, uh, this is a fantastic environment and, and truly, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. We, I very much, we very much appreciate. Thank you.
3: What is, what are your thoughts on winning, say, five championships and still having a losing record? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the- the, 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 the fact that uh, you can dig that type of a hole is, uh, I guess we have made, I have made possible. So, <laughs> yeah. somewhere there's an inverted
0: accomplishment, I'm not too sure. Well, it's, so talking about that, uh, we were talking on the podcast the other day, and I asked Mike, if you had asked fans and people around the league if, when this started... Do you think, what are the chances that the coach that we're hiring now will be the same coach as when this team is the favorite to win the conference? What do you think the odds of that are? And we thought that the odds were, everyone would say, really, really slim. If I ask you, as a neutral observer,
3: what...
0: (laughs) I mean, what did you think? I've been called worse. Yeah. Well, just, I I mean, what, what, what did you think the odds were that you would go through this, and, and su- survive it to now? Uh, I,
1: I mean, we all sort of understand that it would be whatever is really small. And, y- you know, Touche. <laughs> Touche. You know, it just doesn't happen. It's pro-sport. And, you come from a family that gets it. I mean, I left a man that, I think he Pop is the longest tenured professional coach at any league in any continent or country. And so, I hope so, I hope so. I hope so. You know, and I will say when we all, because you, you, you've lived this with me, and when we all sort of look in the rearview mirror, to, to to remember now I won't go through it. I'm, you know what I know, to to remember the, the, the instances and the seasons and you know the navigation of the controversies and things like that. You know, just <laughs> in controversy, specific controversy, yeah. controversy. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably best you to know? use a blanket term. <laughs> you know, and, and to be to be here now and we 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 know we have the best team that we have ever had since we've been here. That's that. That's that. that. That is that. So to to look back and now look where we
3: are, it's uh, it's a good day. Have have you ever actually said trust the process in a quote before? Because you say spirit a lot. Yeah, a lot. You say yeah. culture a lot, yeah, but you've never said trust the process on purpose, on purpose yeah I,
1: I feel like I feel like it's uh, it's appropriate phrase yeah it is an appropriate phrase
3: that's why we used it.
1: and y- you know Sam Sam, Sam took off with it <laughs> Sam, Sam, Sam took off with it. He, um, you know, was so gifted in, in, in so many ways, analytically and all that, and he, he took off with it, and then Joel sort of plodded <laughs> back in. That's right. Um, and it, it lived, and it's, it, it will never go away, and I think it's actually an appropriate phrase.
3: Yeah. <laughs> this is what they do. This is what a- they do. It's all good. Ah.
0: All right. Was there ever a time in the first, say, three years of this, that you would look at the team and not know everybody's name exactly?
1: So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to tell the whole truth in relation to the name, the, sure. ex- the exact name, but I will tell you a story that is true as it relates to your question. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: <laughs> that works. I'll okay, it. we'll
1: tell you, it's as good as I can
0: get. Surprise guest, so, so you make and, the and, rules.
1: and we're gonna, we're gonna call the person Larry Jones. Mm-hmm. Casper Ware. We're, I'm in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually now for the Sydney Kings. Yeah? He yep. plays in Sydney, Australia, right. doing well. So <laughs> we're, in, we're, we're in Denver. And um, obviously on the road in Denver, and and Larry, what did I call him? Larry Jones. Larry Jones. Larry Jones.
0: Darius Johnson. So.
1: Jones. Da- <laughs> so
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm 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 furious. I'm furious at Jakar, and I love Jakar. Mm-hmm. Jakar, that was back in those days. Yeah. Jakar. Yeah. I mean, Jakar. Jakar came into our gym when when we would work out anybody, and we would work out anybody, and he came into the gym, and it's like this bouncy athlete from St. John's. He got a wide smile. He's got charisma and personality, and he played hard. I think I even made him a point guard. Like yeah. We talked about point car a lot.
0: Yeah, we talked about point car a it's lot. It's
1: almost like you're like we go in with welcome to the team. You're starting or welcome to the team. You used to be a power forward, now you're a point car. <laughs> and so I, I, we're in Denver. I'm upset at your car. And I'm screaming down the bench, Larry. Get in for, you know, Larry. And two of my assistants like try to sequester me and they're you know sort of embarrassed for me and and it's like no 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 it's John it's John <laughs> and I'm Larry do you not hear me Larry it's an NBA game and uh, <laughs> true lots of lots of times
0: the thing that you don't know is that these people are so crazy they're gonna go through tape <laughs> Yeah. They're
3: gonna go through tape, and we're gonna figure out who it was. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. I just going going back to the to the beginning six years ago. Uh, some prominent media types were very upset that the Sixers hadn't hired a coach come like August. Yeah, they were very upset about it uh, because the administration and the GM was taking their time to make an informed decision. Do you think if they hired you in July that the kawaii shot wouldn't have gone in? <laughs> do you want me to even attempt to answer that? <laughs> well, we do want to. We do want to know the kawaii shot from your perspective. I think healing and talking about it is part of the part of the process. It bro. is. Yeah. We haven't. We haven't heard too much about where, your perspective and how you. Move on from that.
1: Um, I, I did. A, I did a coaching clinic. Well, today's Friday. I did a coaching clinic on Monday, and excuse me. We we had. Tw- think about this. We had twelve hundred. My first year, we were at Lower Merion High School. We had eighty, <laughs> right up the road. Um, and my second year, we were at at, at PCOM and we had like hundred and fifteen, and sort of my years doing this, we've swelled up to 1,200 coaches in the tri-state area, and I'm I'm proud to be able to talk to them, like boys, girls, men, women. I feel like I'm getting to 12,000 kids, each coach, 10 players. It really is a chance for me to try to leave something behind and, and help a coach, and we're going through that, and I'm in front of them, and lots of times you just come out and you just roll. You don't really, I don't, you know, have a like a pre-constructed script. You just... Go, and and I walked out, and and I started with your question, and it went something like this. You know, you you can see it. The ball goes up, and I think when I explained it to them, and actually this environment's even more appropriate to explain it. Like all, I grew up in the woods. Like I grew up in Maine, and I love. I got my Jeep outside, and I love camping, and that's sort of my world. And you look up, and you sometimes, if you've ever done that, as city folk, you, you look up, you see a beautiful full moon in a pitch-black pitch sky, and it's just sitting there. It's the first thing that came out of my mouth, and I see Kawhi shot it. I felt like it almost hit under the rim, and, and a, an incredibly awkward miss, and then it's just sort of sitting there, and time fell still. And... The horn goes off, and the ball goes in, and I don't blink, and I walk straight to the locker room, I shake Nick's hand, I pass Kawhi, who I coached, I see Joel's face, I go straight into the locker room, I sit down, I quickly take off my suit. If you see the post-game press conferences, normally the league makes you wear a suit, I did not. I had my sweatpants on. And we all did. We spent the next 30 days in sweatpants here in Florida. Yeah, you know, and you just think, like you just sit, you just sit in there in a trance, and then you you go into a locker room, and there's really not, and I don't mind this at this stage of my sort of co- coaching career. Sometimes there's nothing to be said, or there's nothing to be said at that moment, and. That was one of them, and it was, I've said to the media a few days ago, I I lived through Derek Fisher, you know, .4 shot, I'm there, and that that knocked us, ultimately knocked us out of the playoffs. We were about to win our fifth NBA championship in Miami. You know, you're up, up I think, five points with 20-whatever seconds left, and so, you know, Ray Allen hits the shot. I've lived through traumatic kind of shots, but there really, if I'm honest, was nothing more painful than that shot that I don't appreciate you bringing up. <laughs> okay,
0: Mike. Do you mind if I cry right next yeah. to you? Yeah. So until Elton, uh, well, and, and even through Elton, you have been uh, the, the public facing face of this. You know, Sam didn't talk a lot, Brian didn't talk about it. It was up to you to answer for things that maybe even weren't your uh, responsibility. And it's a good face. Yes, it's a great face. I'll say, when you did that lunch with the beat writers, that must've been horrible for you, but great for them the other day. But uh, when you said the thing about smash mouth offense and I could hear your voice, the accent, it was, it was wonderful. But through all that time, through all those questions, is there one question that you've been repeatedly asked that you just wish could never be asked again? I
1: mean, okay, 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 can, I, can I lump them into like a bucket? Yeah. Lump, lump it. Lump it. Uh, okay. Joel's health. Ben's jump shot. Sure. Jump shot. My, my, my hot seat. <laughs> I told the people I said I've been fired every year I've been here. It's like, like <laughs> you know, you can pick whatever pick whatever temperature you want for my seat. It's not my 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 concern. <laughs> you know, the, the, those are always you know as we live. And then, you know, somebody might throw in a Sam or a Brian, like the the ones that sort of don't go away of that. But but I do understand it. Like it's it's um um. As you get older and you do this more, you, you are aware that that content, you and your world, like the media, you need content. People strive, they seek. They got to find something to tell a story on. And I would think, you know, if imagine if you're a day-to-day guy that's got to come on and like, you know, find something and then roll with it with some level of, you know, intellect and passion. That That's hard. And so... These are the three questions that come up a lot, and as I reminded the media group, I'm sitting down on Wednesday, and I'm looking out at 40 journalists, and I told them, just like I just told you, when I read that I'm on the hot seat, I'll know that somebody just was a little bit lazy, and there's nothing else going on, Uh (laughs) because, right? This is, uh, you know, this is is like saying we got a problem, and with the Israelis and the Palestinians. It just goes on and on, right?
3: So. Well, I got a question you might not have been asked before. Was it a choice to have the most handsome team in the league? Did, you, did that factor in? Corford, Matisse, yeah. Raul Neto, and Beed and Ben. Josh, it's a good-looking team, Brett. People are talking about it. And your assistant coaches through the years, Lloyd Pierce, handsome man, Ime Udoka, now handsome man. What is it about good-looking men that the Sixers can't stop quitting? I, 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 I don't know, but I, I
1: will say this, because that's not on my radar. Sure. As you, as you, <laughs> right? Sure. When, when my wife says exactly what you just oh, said... Yeah. Like, you know, you sort of pay attention a little bit, but <laughs> it's like there, there is no uh, method to the
0: madness on the selection of our <laughs> talent rules the day. Okay. Uh, one last basketball question before we get to a, a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, one surprise of you for them and then one surprise of us for you is was there a point last year during the Nets series when you guys started uh, Greg Monroe in a playoff game that you sat at home, uh, or even in the locker room, and you're like, we're starting Greg Monroe in a playoff game. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, he wasn't even on the team three weeks before. It was crazy. I
1: mean, this is the life that we have Mm -hmm. lived. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, um... I wanted to reveal something uh, about tonight that no one knew, so when everybody walked in, they got a little red drink ticket and it, it paid for a beer. And I wanted to let everyone know that the man that uh, bought your beer is Brett Brown.
1: Are you saying four more beers?
2: <laughs> yeah. That's not bad.
3: <laughs> well, we are, you are the only Sixers coach in my lifetime that I've liked. <laughs> and, and so we wanted to give you uh, a treat that yeah. uh, you also might hate, but we will love.
0: Yeah, so what we're doing tonight, we have, we have two missions tonight. The first mission, is uh is Mike Scott will be out here later, who has very quickly become a, a fan favorite. But the other thing is we do is yearly, we, we do a thing called the Process Hall of Fame. And we vote in a to Ricky Sanchez moment, because we really only care about ourselves, the Sixers moment and a Sixers player. And uh and TJ's getting in tonight, and Joel got in last year. And um we wanted uh also the, the pick
3: the pick swap got in last year. The pick swap, which, which was very in, exciting. Yeah. We
0: wanted to let you know, if you look behind you, um, that tonight, in front of everyone, we are inducting Brett Brown into the right Ricky Sanchez Process Hall of Fame.
1: Have everybody have a hell of a night. We're gonna have a hell of a season.
3: That's right!
0: Give it up for Brett Brown! Wow. I mean, look. This shitty little podcast in two straight years Has had the general manager of the Sixers and the head coach of the Sixers surprise you at the live, Ricky. That's pretty good.
3: Come on, man. That's pretty good.
0: If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't don't fuck fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you.
3: If you don't fuck with me, then I won't won't fuck fuck with
0: you. If you don't fuck with me, you. But if you fuck with me... I'm
2: gonna fucking kill you! Time for playing